Come and sit in the front row during one of your services sometime. I know you won't all do that, but you really should. All the voices coming this way and coming that way, it's like, bam, you're just right in the middle of it. And it's very powerful. You have something very special here when it comes to your corporate singing. So I just want to say that as a compliment and as encouragement to you. And yeah, come and sit up here sometime. I know you won't do it, but some. Um, but if you didn't bring a Bible, then you've got the passage right there on the back of that sheet. The other side is the actual worksheet that we use in all of our workshops. We use these all over the world. Now, of course, we get these translated into Mandarin or Hindi or whatever language we're, we're working with. But this is the exact worksheet that the pastors do their work in. They, they do some work on this, they bring it, and then they present it to their friends and their friends uh, talk about it with them, and then they grow together. Now, we're going to grow together here. We're not going to go through all of this, but we're going to go through some of it here, okay? And so, the first question on there is about organizations. We're going to look at that, at that question here. So, look at this passage here, 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read it. So, read along, because I want you to hear it, and I want you to see it. I want you to come at this with all of your senses here, and then we're gonna, I'm going to ask you some questions. And then hopefully that's going to help you make some self-discoveries. We ask questions, you notice something, and when you notice it for yourself, bam, it gets into your mind a little better. I could stand here and give you a lecture, that's not as good. Here we go. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. Who will, be able to share, who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now, on your worksheet, you'll notice that the first question is about structure. Now, like I said, we're not going to go through all this. We're not going to do the context question. We're just only going to talk about one or two of these things. But structure, it's very important that we understand the structure. In fact, I'll even show you our little, this is our diagram, because we have drawings for all of our, um, all of our lessons to help get these in our minds. So there's my brilliant diagram of structure. The reason you can stand up is because you've got bones inside your body. If we took your bones out, you would just be a mush. And a sermon is the same way. If a sermon's not organized, it's just going to be a mush. And you've probably heard sermons like that once in a great while. I know you never hear them here, but sometimes you've heard those. So a sermon that just lacks organization. Well, the reason that a sermon can have organization is that a passage of Scripture has organization. Now, sometimes it's a little more obvious, and sometimes it's a little less obvious. Here's how we're going to do this today. I want to know if you can, whoops, what did I just do? That's not supposed to happen. Get out, get out, stop it. All right. I just, did, I just made a big mistake, and I don't know, I don't want to get started on quick note. That's not working. Okay, let's try this. Uh, does anybody know what I just did? I have no idea what I just did to put that up there. Swipe down. Thank you. When you're in doubt, ask a millennial and they'll sort it out for you. All right. Where was I? Organize. 
Here's the question I want to ask you. Can you find in this passage any verbs of command? A verb of command. Now, what is a verb of command? It's called an imperative. So if I said, hey, Joe, walk the dog, I'm giving Joe a command, walk the dog. If I said, Joe walked the dog, the verb walk, walked, that is a verb of indication. I'm just telling you what happened. Okay, so I'm looking for a verb of command. Paul is telling Timothy to do some things here. What's the first one you see there? Be strengthened. That's right. Actually, I don't like how thick that is. See, the technology is just phenomenal here. And I'm just a whiz at this, as you can tell. Be strengthened. Okay, that is a verb of command. It's also in the passive. So it's something that is done to Timothy. It comes over him. Okay, so be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Do you see another verb of command in the passage? Yeah, entrust. Okay, and we'll talk a little later about what that means. That's in verse two. So entrust the things you got from me. Entrust to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. What's interesting there, can you count how many spiritual generations are in that sentence? What do you see there? Paul to Timothy is one, or there's two there. Paul, Timothy, how many more? Yeah, two faithful men who will teach others. There's four spiritual generations in that verse. That's how ingenious Paul is when he writes a sentence. It's just incredible. And you know what? That process worked. Paul to Timothy, to faithful men who entrusted others, or we wouldn't be here today. Think about that. So entrust to faithful men. Okay, do you see another one in the passage? Another verb of command. Yeah, share in suffering. That's in verse three. We'll talk a lot more about that. Any, any more verbs of command? And it's only in the seven verses that I gave you there. Just keep it confined to that. Yeah, think. Think this over in verse seven. All right. Now, what we've done is just with some very simple observation, we've looked at a structure to this passage by just looking at the verbs of command. There might be other ways. There might be the logical flow of it. There might be the argument. There might be this emphasis and that emphasis. emphasis. But we're just looking at the verbs of command. Now, of these four, which one does Paul emphasize? Put differently, which one gets the most attention? Which one of those four does he spend a little more time on than the others? I think I heard somebody say it. You know what? One of the cultural things we have to work through in India when we try to do this is the Indian culture for learning is you sit and you listen and you take it in. And if you ask a question, that's kind of reflecting some disrespect on your teacher. 
And the way an Indian will put it often is, sir, I have a doubt. And we think of doubt as one, well, what he's saying is I have a question. That's kind of their, the way they say that. Sir, I have a doubt about this verse. And we have to really encourage them to bring their questions forward because culturally they don't want to do it. In our Canadian culture, it's actually, we tell them, it's a, it's a sign of respect that you ask a question. <laughs> Otherwise, they won't ask any questions. So, people, show me some respect here. Respond a little bit here. Which one of these four gets more attention? Yeah, yeah. So, and this is why it's good to use a, a whiteboard or a pencil so that you can kind of erase things. You can kind of erase things and work them out a little bit here. So I need a little more space. Oops. And let's go with red just to highlight this. What, what are the, Paul's going to give some examples of this to expand on this idea of sharing and suffering. What images does he bring forward to help us, to help Timothy understand? Right, there's the, there's the whoa, whoa, what did they do there? That's all the wrong. I used to be kind of a ninja at this, but I've been out of practice for a while. So the soldier, what else? Yeah, the athlete. And then? The farmer. So the soldier who obeys his commander, who fights. The athlete who plays according to the rules and gets the crown. And the faithful farmer who plants and works hard. So these three great images. I actually think that forms kind of the emphasis. I think that really makes this kind of the, this is what Paul's really driving at in this passage. So notice here, we have this question of context. Like I said, we're going we're gonna to skip over that. And verse, uh, verse three, question three is what is the argument being advanced by the author to his audience? That's a really important part. In other words, what does Paul want Timothy to do? What do you think? Just based on what we've seen so far, what does Paul want Timothy to do? I think that Paul wants Timothy to suffer for the sake of the gospel. I think that's what he's driving at. So that's what I'm going to write down in that one. Paul wants Timothy to join him in suffering for the sake of the gospel. Suffer with me for the gospel. Boy, that's even tighter, isn't it? Paul's saying, suffer with me for the gospel. That's what Paul's getting at there. Yeah. Okay, so that's the process there. Now, there's one other question I would ask you, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of shift this a little bit and do something else with you. One other question is question four. How does this passage connect to the gospel? What would you say about that? If you were to draw from this passage alone, within the confines of these seven verses, how would you explain the gospel? Or what would be your springboard? What would be your connection to the gospel? What do you think? Sorry? Yeah, I'm thinking about there's somebody else who suffered, you know, um, and, and he, he suffered mightily. So the suffering that we go through as apostles or as preachers or as Christians, that's not for its own sake. We're not the first ones to ever suffer. That's built upon the suffering of someone else. In fact, we can only suffer because Jesus suffered, and we would only suffer because Jesus not only suffered, but he overcame that suffering and was resurrected in victory. That's the only reason we would stick with suffering. 
And I can tell you that there's a bunch of Chinese house church pastors who are suffering. They pay a heavy price for being a Christian. And they, they have this very word. They have the same word to draw on for their encouragement and for their continued ministry that we have. That's pretty amazing to think about, isn't it? All right, well, as you go through this worksheet here, you can look at question five. What argument will you advance to your audience? See, it's not enough that we just figure out what Paul was telling Timothy. As preachers, we want to preach to our modern-day people. And so what would we say to our modern-day people? And then what applications would we make? What about the Christian? What about the non-Christian? And then let's come up with a sermon title, and let's come up with a preaching outline, all of that. By the way, I just want to stir the pot in your thinking a little bit. Do you think that the book of 2 Timothy has specific application for all Christians, or is it specifically to be applied to word ministers? How many would, let's do, let's do it this way. How many would say, well, this is definitely for all Christians. The message in 2 Timothy is for all Christians. Put your hand up. Let's be bold. How many would say, no, I think it's more restricted to the idea of a word minister, pastors, teachers, and all that. Put your hand up. Hmm. We got one bold guy here in the front. We kind of went like this. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I wonder how much culture comes into play on your answer. You know, how much of this is work? Canadians, man, we're egalitarians. We don't like to have somebody stand out. We, you know, it's even everything out. I wonder. Because Paul is teaching to his beloved son, Timothy, and the whole way through the book, it's all about preach the word. It's this message for that preacher. So I actually think that's the way it goes. Now, if you disagree with that a little bit, that's fine, because we're in a workshop here. Where's iron supposed to sharpen iron? We're not supposed to walk out of here the same way we came in. So maybe I should have my ideas pushed around a little bit. I'm talking about me, and maybe you should too, right? So that's fine. So I actually think this is a message for word ministers. And so what I want to share with you now, as I show you the fruits of what this work could produce, I think this would be a great thing to, to, to teach at like a pastor's conference somewhere. But then I'm going to surprise you with an application for you as a congregation at the end. So here's what I did with this. And I got some help from a friend of mine who lives in the Boston area. But what, what, we came, what I came up with, what he came up with, what we worked out together is this question. Well, maybe I would put it this way. Here's the title, Faithful Gospel Ministry. Not the most inspiring, creative title in the world, but I think that's what this really is about. Faithful Gospel Ministry. And the main idea that I would want to drive home to my listeners is that word ministers must stay faithful in the face of suffering. I think that's what Paul's really driving at here. Word ministers must stay faithful in the face of suffering. So I want to ask the question this way. What does gospel ministry require? What does gospel ministry require? And so that would be my kind of question to drive this forward. And I would say gospel ministry requires, first of all, strength. Gospel ministry requires strength, not strength from within, this isn't Dr. Phil or Tony Robbins or something like that. We're not saying, hey, it's in you. Just light that fire and get out there and do it. No, 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 no. We're saying that we need strength, but this is strength that comes from outside of us. 
This is strength that we derive by being filled with the grace that is in you in Christ Jesus. Did you see that there? This isn't, this isn't uh, strength that you develop. This is strength that was given to you by grace. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Have you ever met somebody so full of grace? You just kind of bump into them a little bit and grace just spills out all over the place. I can think of a couple of examples. One was a little old lady in our church where I pastored for many years. A church, by the way, that was structured just like the same roof. So I feel really at home here today. <laughs> and there was a, a little old lady named Gladys and she would sit right back there, just kind of right by that post. And she would be in a wheelchair and she, her body had been racked with rheumatoid arthritis. She probably weighed about 90 pounds. She's probably the strongest person I ever met in my life. So you know what I mean? Just grace. Say, hey, Gladys, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm fine, Gladys, come on now. No, I'm fine, Gladys. A little bit of pain, but no, I'm fine. Just, she, we knew that she was overcome by pain. Her body wasn't functioning the way she wanted it to, but boy, her mind and her spirit and her heart and her love and her humility and her trust and her faith made her just strong. So that's the kind of grace we need. That's the grace that gives us strength. Another example, I won't dwell on this, but I had an opportunity last fall to meet a bunch of house church pastors. I was at a meeting in Dallas and I met some of these guys. Ever been in the presence of greatness in terms of the Christian faith? <laughs> that day we were there in Dallas, there was a football game on going down the street. And this was a, a football game of national importance. It was Texas Christian against Baylor, somebody like that. 100,000 people in the stadium. And so we we're meeting in this church, about 200 people. They had 100,000 people and they had TV cameras and the, and the eyes of the world were on this. And I got to thinking, what's the most important event going on in this town today? Did a gathering of unknown Chinese house church pastors who are strategizing how to bring the gospel to the far reaches of China? Or is it a game where a bunch of guys are running around bashing into each other? You know, think about that. And so I met some of these house church pastors there and these guys were full of the grace and they were strengthened as they told stories of being arrested, of having their Bibles taken away. Sometimes it's just an intimidation. They're having a potluck dinner out on the street and the police are just standing there, you know, all in their gear. Imagine that. The police just stand there watching these people have their potluck. We know who you are. We know what you're doing. We know where you are and we can come any day and we can disappear your pastor. And that kind of thing happens. These guys are strong. They just keep serving up the food. <laughs> right out, this strong. We need this, in, this strength. So that's one thing that gospel ministry requires is strength. Well, what was our second word? I'm going to turn that into multiplication. Gospel ministry requires multiplication. In fact, that's the work of the Simeon Trust, isn't it? That's got to be the work of every church. You know, so who, who are the young men who are being raised up? I will never forget as long as I live a little gathering called the Breakfast Club when I was in high school. Our youth pastor gathered us together, four or five of us guys. We met at this restaurant. It'd be kind of like a Denny's. There was a little back room there. We'd go in there at 6.30 every Thursday morning. 
And we, he, he just took us through the characteristics of an elder, phrase by word by word, phrase by phrase, for, for weeks at a time. And we would just go through that. And he invested in us. And then he started giving us responsibilities. He would say, well, why don't you teach the Bible study next week? Or why don't you organize this event? Or why don't you run this? Or could you go just do this thing? Could you just shovel this thing for me? So he got us serving and he got us working and he got us involved. And he poured his life into us. And we look back on that group. And then he carried that on for, for years with other groups as we cycled out. And hundreds of guys come out of that. I mean, he just produced pastors. Like crazy. He just, he just poured into them and he just produced them. So it requires multiplication. Who are the faithful men? There's a pastor in the middle of India and uh, he's got this great thing going at his church. He preaches every Sunday morning. They have a Sunday evening service and he has four guys, four young men, and each one of them rotate on a different Sunday night. So these guys, young guys, preach 12 times a year on their Sunday evening service. Do you think he's gonna produce some preachers? Do you think we're gonna have some great Bible expositors coming out of India? These guys in front of a live congregation preaching 12 times a year and then talking about their sermons and going, oh, hey man, you think you left something out here? You could have said this a little better. These guys are doing that kind of work week in and week out. I'm, I'm expecting that guy to be a producer of Bible expositors, gospel men, men who are saturated with the gospel, who are fearless, who just want to go and preach. Gospel ministry requires multiplication. Well, and then third, gospel ministry, as we saw, requires suffering. This is tough. Gospel ministry requires sorry. I mentioned, I mentioned already about China. Uh, India is tough too. We had a room full of guys a couple years ago. In fact, I returned from India on March 14th in 2020. <laughs> so I'm flying back. The world is going crazy. We're going, what's happening? Is church going to happen on Sunday? It is. It's not. It's not. Okay, we canceled it. We'll meet next week. And then that was the last time we met for like three months because <laughs> the whole world went kaboom. But I was in India. We had a room full of guys. And for us, a large workshop is 35 or 40 guys. And every one of those guys was a pastor or a missionary. A couple of those guys were missionaries into Muslim areas in India. And they would often get beat up, they said. Yeah, we go out and we preach, we get beat up. You know, we come back, we preach again. Just fearless guys, but they're suffering for the Lord. That's hard. It's hard to get beat up because you're preaching. Or they would tell me how they were cast out of their family because they had become Christians. Imagine that. No more Christmas holidays. No more birthday celebrations. No more nothing. No more inheritance. No help with college. No, nothing. If you're going to become a Christian in some of these cultures, you're just out. You're cut off from everything. What are you going to do? There's a price to be paid. And so Paul talks about the soldier. The soldier who obeys his commanding officer. The athlete who trains, who works hard. And then the farmer, often unseen work. Work that nobody sees, but boy, do we ever need it, right? The fruitfulness that comes from all of that. The suffering. And then the last one is reflection. Gospel ministry requires reflection. And why? Well, because of this one. Because it's hard. You have to think this over. You have to, you have to think this through. Is this really what you want to be doing? Because gospel ministry is hard. 
Well, these are some of the things that are required. Now, there's a lot that we could make if we were to take more time and study this whole book. We would find out that time and time and time, time and again, Paul is referring to Timothy as his son. And there's this handing off of the baton. We're just finishing up the Winter Olympics. That's fine. I, I kind of like the Summer Olympics, especially the relay race. The 4x100 relay is the best. You know, we're going to go around this lap one time. The baton's going to go around the lap one time, but four guys are going to carry it. The first guy gets set. He goes, he runs a quarter of the way. He hands off the baton. The next guy takes it and runs. That is, I think, an image of what Paul is doing here. He is handing off the baton to Timothy. He's saying, where is Paul when he's writing this? Anybody know? What's Paul's condition here? He's in prison. He's facing an impending death. He got... Saved once, he was, thought he was going to be executed, he got out of that, but this time it looks like it's over with, and he, and he thinks he's going down this time. So this is an older man saying, listen, young man, here's the deal. You've got to take this, and you've got to go with it. Turn to 4.7. You do have your Bible. Look over to 4.7. You've heard this verse a lot. Remember, Paul told Timothy, you got to be like a soldier, you got to be like an athlete, and you got to be like a farmer. Look at 4.7. I want you to see what Paul says. He's reflecting about his own life. And he says, I have fought the good fight. Who is that? That's your soldier. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. There's your athlete. I have kept the faith. There's your faithful farmer. Notice what Paul is doing here. He is not telling Timothy, hey, I've never done any of this, but I want you to go do it. He's telling Timothy, this is who I am. This is what I've done. Now it's yours. Take this baton and go with it. Isn't that great? That's the genius again of Paul and how he's written this and how he's communicating this. We're, we're not here to have a Christian club. We're, we're not here just to kind of well, you know, we've got a few issues and we want to be happy and so let's go. No, 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 no. We're here on mission. We've got something to do. We've got a community to win to Christ. We've got a country to win to Christ. We've got an international world to share the gospel with. What a great privilege to be a part of that. What a great calling to be a part of that. Now, I mentioned that I would want to make sure that there is an application for you in here. And I think there is one. I think it's very clear. And it's this. The kind of ministry that Paul is calling on to Timothy, the application for us as a church family is that this is the kind of ministry that you need to encourage, that you need to even demand. And I know you do. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. But don't ever assume this. Don't ever assume that what you do here week in and week out is the way it is everywhere. And don't ever assume that what you experience here week in and week out will carry on indefinitely without some vigilance, without some intentionality. Because what we tend to do is we just tend to drift away from our convictions. And this happens all the time. So what we need as preachers from a congregation is accountability. Hey, just stick with the word. I remember I had a guy, we were going through some rough moments in our church. Some people were leaving. There was something shiny happening down the street, and it was discouraging. Everybody, some, some people were taken off, and this guy came up to me, and he said, hey, you know what? If it's just me and my wife 
sitting in the front row and the whole place is empty, just keep doing what you're doing. That was like, that was such an encouragement to me. I needed that guy. He was an influential guy. He was somebody that I looked up to. And to have him say that, to give me permission to not worry about people who aren't happy with us, who have gone. Don't worry about what's going out. Worry about what's staying here. And just do that. Oh, man. So as preachers, we need that kind of encouragement and accountability. That is such a shot in the arm. So helpful. And the people need it. So I think that's, the, I think that's one of the main uh, uh, applications that can come out of this particular passage in this particular book for you. Even if not every lesson here is to be applied directly to the average Christian, the whole message of it is absolutely to be applied to the average Christian in the average church. Hey, preacher, just give me the Bible. We don't need to hear your insightful uh, medical uh, analysis. We don't need to hear all about your cultural and political understandings. We need to hear a word from the Lord. And so we're not going to distract you with a whole bunch of stuff. We're going to tell you to get in that study, get away from us for a while, sit down with your Bible and a piece of paper and, some, and your books and your tools and get alone with God and work out something, a word from him, and don't come out of there until you've got a word from the Lord for us. Amen? Brother tepid amen on a cold morning. Amen? amen? There we go. There we go. And what about those of you that don't know the Lord? I was pleased to understand that the leadership of this church does not assume that everybody understands the gospel. That was very clear from the beginning of our service here. There's not an assumption of the gospel. There's an assumption that we need to explain the gospel. And I want to pick up on that and emphasize that again. That maybe you're here today and you say, I don't know about all this stuff. I'm not sure I'm a Christian. Well, let's go back to what you suggested as our gospel connection for our passage. There was one who suffered. And why did he suffer? He suffered because the wrath of God was barreling towards rebels. And those rebels are all of us. Our hearts were twisted at the main rebellion, at the early rebellion of the man and the woman, so that we were all born with a propensity to rebel and to sin. So we've all got that inside of us. And we all deserve the wrath of God. But Jesus stepped in the, the path of that wrath, and he took it upon himself, and he suffered so that we would not have to. He lived the life that we should have lived, and he died the death that we should have died. Right? He did all that. And if one would simply repent of their rebellion and trust him to be the savior, he will save you. And then you can be a part of this fellowship, this eternal fellowship. And you can enjoy the fruitfulness of this grace that can work in you the same way it worked in Gladys. That's the invitation. That's the gospel call. Amen? Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for your grace that has worked out in, in our lives. We thank you for the privilege of being together today, how, how great that is. The privilege of sing. We, we sing our songs in defiance of a rebellious world, of a devil that would like to just take us all out. These songs are songs of dependence. They're songs of grace. They're songs of triumph. And they say, no, 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 no. There's a bigger way. There's a better way. There's a more wonderful way. And that's the way of Jesus. So we thank you for all of that. I want to pray a rich blessing upon this congregation as they continue to serve you. We're trusting you for this, and we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.